The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Kelly, welcome to the Megan Kelly Show. We've got some of our favorites back on today for a busy Tuesday show, including Glenn Greenwald. Despite being one of the most frequent guests on the show, it's been nearly six months since we've had Glenn on, and there is a reason why. We'll talk about it in a minute. But we begin with the news in America and in Brazil, and there's no person better to ask about it than Glenn. He's a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist and now host of System Update on Rumble, where he's doing, is it a nightly newscast at 7 p.m., Glenn? Is it nightly? It is nightly, and I should have listened to the people who warned me about how time-consuming that was, including (laughs) probably you, but I was foolish and ignored them, and now I know. But yeah, it's nightly, Monday through Friday, 7 p.m. Eastern. Oh, that's awesome. Congrats. I love Rumble. It's got run by great people, and I'm sure it's going to be a very big success. Um, So... We'll get to the all the personal reasons why. But can you just can you just do me a favor? Because I've been following the Brazil story, you know, with moderate interest. I wouldn't say I'm rapidly interested in what's happening down there, but I'm moderately interested. So give us like the 101 version for people who are like me, who like saw the riot, saw people very upset. They don't believe uh, that the election was free and fair, and that Bolsonaro really lost. Um, is that what they're upset about? They feel like it's a stolen election. Or is it that plus the fact that they can't stand the new guy? Because uh, here it's like, to me, this is like far right to far left. And it seems hard to understand that the same country would elect both of those leaders. Yeah. So I'll just give you my very quick uh, reason why I do think people should care about Brazil. It's actually a gigantic country. It's the sixth most populous country in the world. Um, it's the second largest in the hemisphere. It has enormous oil reserves, some of the most important in the world, plus the most important environmental resource, which is the Amazon. And that's why during the Cold War, the Soviet Union and the U.S. were obsessed with Brazil. It's easily the most influential country in Latin America. As for the recent politics of it, the government, Brazil, um, has been ruled by this what some people consider this far left party, um, which is the Workers' Party created by Lula da Silva. He grew up, you know, kind of he grew up illiterate um, in great poverty. He became a labor leader. So he sort of has this profile of a far leftist. And he was very far to the left, but he ran for president three times, lost three times and realized the only way he would win and successfully govern the country is if he moderated. And he became I wouldn't quite say 
kind of an equivalent of like Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton, but much more like them than, say, Fidel Castro, Hugo Chavez. He was the president from 2002 to 2010. And regardless of what he secretly might have wished for, no one can know that, he governed as a kind of center-left leader. Um, The Brazilian economy, far from becoming Venezuela, exploded in growth for eight years under his presidency. It became the sixth largest country in the world. It passed the UK. But you know, then his successor, Dilma Rousseff, uh, was the president for six more years. So when you have a party that's governing a country for 14 straight years, and then you have the good times and the bad times, people grow very disenchanted with it. She ended up being impeached in 2016. He ended up being imprisoned in 2017. And so there was a lot of anger <laughs> toward the establishment. And Bolsonaro ended up kind of successfully exploiting that anger toward the establishment, much like Donald Trump did by saying, I'm not from the center left or the center right. I think they're both the same. I hate the entire establishment. And all that anger got channeled into the Bolsonaro movement. And that's why he won in 2018. Um, As for what just happened, there was definitely a similar attempt like there was in the U.S. to persuade Bolsonaro supporters that he didn't really lose the election. He lost very narrowly by by two points, uh, but that instead there was fraud. I personally haven't seen any evidence of real fraud or systemic fraud. So I think what's really going on is that, you know, especially because Bolsonaro's party in that same election had an amazing night. I mean, they they won the key governorship. So if there was fraud, you know, it was only on one part of the ballot. I don't think there was. I think That's people are, are Brazil's a really polarized country like the U.S. and Brazil. And a lot of the anger was because of that. Yeah, that's always when it, like that was part of the Trump problem when he was claiming that he was, you know, denied votes in Michigan and so on. Then you look at places where the Republicans just crushed under Trump on the very same ballot, which really undermines the suggestion that there some fix was in. Never mind the Sidney Powell stuff like it's it's in and it's being controlled from a foreign country where they're manipulating all the ballots. But, you know, only at this level and not the lower levels, whatever. Um, so, OK, so Bolsonaro is now down in Florida, uh, recovering from. From, he was stabbed when he ran in 2018. It's so crazy and says he has ongoing medical issues from that. And now he's down in Florida. And people are gathering outside of his house and he's sort of a hero to a lot of people, but also a villain to others. Is he but now there's pressure from from some here in our own country, including the Biden White House, to potentially tell him to go home, to get out of here. Why would we get involved in that? Like, where is this? Is, is this over now? Is it like, is it going to die down and he's going to go back home and is going to end? Or what's the next step in this saga? Well, I mean, first of all, you know, it actually sickens me when I see American leftists and liberals mocking how how often he ends up hospitalized. I mean, when he was running for president, a gigantic knife was plunged and tore the whole thing up. He was 90 seconds away from dying. 90 seconds oh. later, he would have been dead um, at arriving at the hospital. His entire uh, abdominal region was reconstructed. Of course, he has all kinds of ongoing problems. He's a 67-year-old man. Um, but I think, you know, it's it's this is what happens when people speak in ignorance. So you have people like AOC and Joaquin Castro saying Bolsonaro be extradited back to Brazil. The Brazilian right. government, very notably, <laughs> is not asking for Bolsonaro to be extradited. There aren't criminal charges pending against Bolsonaro. So how would the United States government extradite him? Of course, the U.S. government would have the right, like it does with any foreign national, to expel any foreign national from the country, even if they entered legally, which Bolsonaro did. 
you don't you're not under requirement to host a foreign national if you don't want but they can't order him back to brazil he's there's no deportation or extradition process requested it just it's it's just that kind of thing that social media stars like aoc say in order to get social media attention without giving the slightest thought to the the, the reality that i believe anyway that bolsonaro that the new government doesn't want bolsonaro back on Brazil soil they don't want the government and the politics being dominated by a trial of jair bolsonaro that will tear the country apart my view my belief is that he left the country on the last day as part of an agreement with the Supreme Court, where they basically said, look, you you don't route, don't write, you know, incite your your crazies. Don't get tell them that the election was fraudulent and that they should go out in the street, which he didn't. He basically right. disappeared from public life ever since the election was over. Quietly leave the country. We'll move on with our governing. And then maybe after six months when things are calmer, you can come back. So to, to watch AOC and Joaquin Castro and other Democrats and people in our media saying, send them back to Brazil when there's no signs, at least yet, that the Brazilian government wants him back is just the kind of narcissism and stupidity that so often governs our discourse. Hmm. Well, it's very fair of you to say that, too, because obviously this guy's put you through a lot. <laughs> His government put you through a lot, um, which is one of the reasons why you come on and we always mock these reporters who talk about how, how rough it is, how hard it is to be criticized by. It's like, call me when they try to put you in jail. And they do. They do exactly. put you in jail and they try to take you away, your, away your freedoms permanently for doing reporting on their alleged corruption and other misdeeds, which is your situation. Um, all right. Well, we'll continue to watch what happens down there. It's just um, those those videos of the riots in the street were, you know, they were kind of reminiscent of January 6th. And it was shocking to see. Uh, I didn't realize Brazil. I knew it was number two in in. Um, in the region, but I didn't realize it was actually like over 200 million people, like 213. Yeah, million exactly. People. Huge. So, yeah, exactly. we got to keep an eye on it. And you're down there yep. doing exactly that. But farther north up here where we are, there is controversy as well. Continues to mount over the Biden documents. And now we're on the fourth tranche of documents that they've found. All four have been found by his lawyers, the first two, his personal lawyers, and the second two by this sort of counsel that he brought in to run cover for him at the White House counsel's office. And um, not one by the FBI, even though we realize there are documents running rampant all over the Biden estate. And, you know, as much as we all would like to see them declassify documents, we can we can tackle that battle another time, you know, more regularly and not classify virtually everything just so that we can't see it. Um, these were marked top secret, according to the reports, and they weren't well kept. So now we're in a position where we can't get real answers. And Corrine Jean-Pierre, who is completely inept at managing any real information flow, has just bounced past everything to the Justice Department, which let me tell you, when I was brought on at Fox News in 2004 as a junior you know, cub reporter cl- covering the Supreme Court and justice, you get no information out of justice. You never get any information out of justice. The only time you get an information out of justice is when Merrick Garland is secretly leaking to you because he wants to publicize the Trump Mar-a-Lago raid because he thinks it makes him look good. Other than that, you get nothing. Right. And here's an example of what the messaging has been now out of the White House with a hat tip to Jim Garrity of National Review, who highlighted these in a great piece on National Review yesterday. Sat seven. But as far as you know, is it ever okay for classified documents to be mixed with personal? What I can say, uh, look, what I can say is what the president has said before, what I have said multiple times. We take this very seriously. The president takes uh, classified information, classified documents very seriously. We want to respect the process. Uh, and so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to refer you to the Department of Justice. Just be clear, you're confident he followed whatever protocol was in place. Again, 
this is something that he takes very seriously. Uh, the president, when it comes to classified documents, when it comes to classified information. I'm the president has said he hopes to speak about this soon. When can people expect to hear from him? Uh, don't have, again, that's a, that is, that is something that I can't, I don't have a, a magic wand here. I don't know when that's going to happen. Okay, so just in case you were wondering, Glenn, he takes classified documents very seriously. Yes, I, I, that's definitely what I derived as well from her commentary, <laughs> which of course provokes the question if he takes documents classified documents so seriously why does he appear to be strewing them about in multiple places wherever he goes kind of like a little you know troll in the desert leaving breadcrumbs for for <laughs> the little children to pick up um you know wherever he goes they just seem to fall out of his pocket when i know you wanted to leave this issue aside but when the whole thing happened with trump and mar-a-lago the reason I didn't take that particularly seriously is because, you know, as somebody who has spent as a journalist many years reading through enormous archives, multiple archives of top secret or secret or classified documents, I do know that everything in Washington, even the most banal things, get marked classified in secret because the government reflexively keeps everything they do from us a secret, which is its own problem. Nonetheless, as you pointed out, the law is the law. And a lot of people have gone to prison for handling classified documents far less recklessly than Joe Biden appears to have handled them. And what's good for the goose is good for the gander. We don't have two sets of law in this in this country, or at least we're not supposed to, where, you know, low level functionaries in, in the State Department take home work to work on it and entails the classified information and they end up getting prosecuted or having their reputations ruined. And so there is a lot of karmic justice in this because Democrats really thought they had Trump this time. You know, you've, I'm sure you've seen, your audience has seen five years of clips from New York Times op-ed writers and MSNBC and CNN hosts. The walls are closing in on Trump. He's really about mm -hmm. to be in prison this time. And they really thought they had him this time. And then they ran into this problem, pretty big problem, that Joe Biden appears to have done exactly what Donald Trump is accused of doing, only... Worse in the sense that it's not a one-time removal, but multiple instances, and I doubt we've seen them all. On top of the fact that Trump's defense, whatever you think of it, which is that as president, I have the absolute right to declassify anything I want, which is true, isn't available to Biden because these were when he was vice president. So I think, you know, the problem now becomes Democrats have painted themselves into a corner where they're the ones who have said that at crimes of this kind are so grave that the person must go to prison because they've jeopardized our national security. So how do they have any way out, given that we know it in at least four instances that Biden took not just classified documents, but top secret documents about Ukraine and Iran, put them in his garage where his son Hunter Biden had access to them, where we know what his problems were, his money problems were. He was on the board of a you know, Ukrainian energy company, there were top secret documents about Ukraine sitting in that garage to which Hunter Biden had access. So I think the Democrats have a gigantic problem on their hands. Mm -hmm. And now you've got Democrats like Debbie Stabenow, um, outgoing senator from Michigan, saying, you know, the people don't really care about this. They don't care about documents and investigations. Of course, now that it's a Democrat or the top Democrat on the hot seat, get on with the people's business after, you know, the salivation on the left over those Trump Mar-a-Lago documents. Um, I mean, it's just so transparent. 
they 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 sent the FBI to Mar-a-Lago in the single most flamboyant way possible, like they did so many times during Russiagate when they went to go and arrest people close to Trump who were completely peaceful, who were totally willing to surrender voluntarily, who had showed no signs of resistance. They would call CNN to make sure cameras were ready when the FBI arrived, a complete abuse of you know, the police state that we have in the United States from political ends so overtly. And now suddenly, basically the main critique of Democrats for five years or four years of the Trump administration and before that the campaign was nothing but investigative. It wasn't substantive policy objections. It was Russiagate and obstruction and now classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. And as you say, the minute Biden has his own scandal like that and really even worse, I think, Suddenly it becomes, oh, no one cares about lawbreaking and classified material and where Biden is, you know, tossing top secret documents around. They just care about bread and butter issues. Um, You know, the hypocrisy is stunning. And ordinarily, I wouldn't bother me. Hypocrisy in politics is, you know, as common as 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 anything in politics. It's existed for as long as politics has. But what bothers me is the actual abuse of power of law enforcement agencies and the Justice Department yes. and the FBI, which we know is being wep- is being weaponized and politicized. That's the part that I think is truly concerning. Well, what, it's definitely, I think, going to the place where Trump does not get pursued and neither does Biden. I mean, I really think Biden right. saved Trump. And so neither exactly. of these big guys is going to get prosecuted. And, you know, as you point out, as, as Annie McCarthy had a great piece on the other day, there are regular Americans who worked for DOD or what have you, who are looking at 10 years in prison right now for having far less classified material at their homes than Joe Biden was just found with at his. How does the DOJ turn around? How do they go in at those sentencing hearings and say, Jane Smith gets 10 years. We want her 10 years in prison for the crime we're giving a complete pass to Joe Biden for. Exactly. I mean, set aside more controversial cases of, you know, huge leakers of classified material like Daniel Ellsberg deliberately delivering huge amounts of top secret documents to The New York Times or Edward Snowden doing that with me or Chelsea Manning and WikiLeaks. Those are deliberate acts of what they regard as whistleblowing other people regard as crimes. I think it's very important to distinguish that from what you just said, which is the fact that there are people who have been prosecuted and who have been in prison for no deliberate uh, transgression of the law at all, no malice whatsoever. People who took work home and inadvertently part of that work that they took home was classified material. Because again, when we hear classified material, people think, wow, that must be nuclear secrets or troop movements. Sometimes, I mean, Megan, when I was working with the Snowden archive, I would see things like manuals on how to get parking credentials or how CIA employees could request special meals for lunch. And they would be marked secret and classified, which means it was illegal to (laughs) disclose them. The two worst instances of class of leaking of classified material in the last, say, 10 to 15 years was Leon Panetta leaked the most sensitive materials about how we found Osama bin Laden to the filmmakers that were filming that were making Zero Dark Thirty, the theatrical film. It was scheduled to be released weeks before the 2012 presidential election. Obama, remember, was running running on the fact that he got Os- Osama bin Laden. General Motors is alive. Osama bin Laden is dead. Leon Panetta gave them information about the identity of the SEALs, the Navy SEALs, and the technology we used to track down Osama bin Laden because he wanted to enable them to create a hagiography to glorify Barack Obama before the election. 
he faced no charges, even though everyone knows he leaked toxic documents. And the worst case was David Petraeus, who was also Obama's CIA director, his favorite general, who gave what's called the Black Book, parts of the Black Book, the, the government's most sensitive secrets to his mistress so that she could write a hagiography, a biography of him and make him look good. He got a slap on the wrist, a misdemeanor charge, and a fine and never spent a day in prison. And that, I think, is what people are tired of, is this two-tiered system of justice where if you're powerful in Washington, if you have the right politics, you get immunized. And if you don't, you have the weight of the law come crashing down upon you. Mm -hmm. And on the DOJ subject, you know as well as I do that Merrick Garland was leaking. His DOJ was leaking to The Washington Post and The New York Times about what was allegedly found in the Trump stash down at Mar-a-Lago. Oh, nuclear secrets. They wanted us to believe he was selling nuclear secrets to some enemy. That was the clear implication that he was some sort of double agent. I mean, it was absolutely absurd where they went with it. And there's no way that those organizations would have known any of that had they not gotten the leaks from the DOJ. So to them, he wants to make Trump look bad. He leaks. But now, not only are we not going to get any information from the DOJ, even though KJP is like, go to DOJ, go to DOJ. But we now find out he's been silent on this since November that he was told they found the original original tranche of documents in uh, Joe Biden's office in early November before the midterms. And he cooperated to keep it quiet. Another batch, December 20th, kept it quiet Um, and You know, again, in that same Garrity piece, he raises the question of, does anybody think this would have been a huge game changer before the midterms? Probably not. But can we really say he points out the following, Glenn? Um, Could it have cost Democrats the 310 votes in New Mexico's second congressional district that made the difference? The 1600 plus votes in Colorado, Colorado, Colorado's eighth, 1800 uh, plus votes in Connecticut's fifth or 2,600 plus votes in Washington's third district. We don't know. Those are pretty tight. Maybe those are people on the fence. A lot of independents were thought to go um, that they were going to go Republican and they went Democrat last minute, which was unusual in a midterm election. They usually vote for the party out of power. And who knows whether this would have been the last straw, sickening, disgusting thing that would have changed the vote. We don't know, but there won't be a press inquiring as to that question. Megan, this is why I like will probably go to my grave still talking about what happened before the 2020 election with regard to the lie that was circulated by former intelligence officials and then ratified by the media and used by big tech to censor the reporting about Joe Biden, namely this complete fabrication that the Hunter Biden laptop was, quote, Russian disinformation, because whether or not it would have swung the election and that was an extremely close election. And so had the public gotten to hear things like what Joe Biden was doing and trading on his family's name or his his brother and son were doing and trading on his name in China and Ukraine in order to profit not just themselves, but Joe Biden himself, maybe it wouldn't have had any 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 effect. We'll never know. Everyone now admits those documents on the Hunter Biden laptop were authentic. Everyone honest knew at the time those documents were authentic. I was willing to stake my career on it because I quit The Intercept when they refused to let me write about it by claiming, oh, we don't know what's authentic. I knew they were authentic, just like, you know, in the same way that we've authenticated other documents. When you have the Justice Department, the FBI, the CIA interfering in our domestic politics to try and generate an outcome that they prefer and avoid the one they don't prefer, that is a very grave threat to our democratic values. And that's exactly what is happening with these agencies. Mm -hmm. Well, this subject came up uh, on the Sunday shows with Chuck Todd, who purports to be 
he's no Tim Russert. I mean, he purports to be the sort of fair and, t- and tough on both sides. Obviously, it's not true. And um, he had Ron Johnson, a Republican from Wisconsin, a senator on his show and meet the press on Sunday. And they were talking about um, Hunter Biden and the investigations that are now going to take place. And Ron Johnson was having to defend himself on wanting to pursue these investigations into what Hunter Biden did under his dad's name and what benefit there was to the sitting president of the United States now, then for a period of Hunter's antics, the sitting vice president or immediately post vice president about to run for president. All these things make him compromised if he was potentially in on some financial scheme with foreign countries and so on through his his son. We'll never know the full extent unless we investigate. So Ron Johnson wants to, and Chuck Todd was pressing him on it, and listen to how this went. I'll take it at your word that you're ethically bothered by Hunter Biden. I'm curious, though. You seem to have a pattern. Are you not? Uh, I seem to have a pattern. I'm a journalist. I have to deal in facts. Are you not? not, I deal in facts. I'm I'm concerned about getting the truth. I don't target individuals. Target individuals. (laughs) You don't? You're targeting Hunter Biden. My my, my concern is the show, Senator. You're targeting an individual. Chuck, my my concern, you know, Chuck, you know, part part of the problem, and, and this is pretty obvious to anybody watching this, is you don't invite me on to interview me. You invite me on to argue with me. Part, part of the reasons our politics are inflamed is we do not have an unbiased uh, media. We don't. It's unfortunate. I'm all for a free press. Well, it needs Senator, to be more unbiased. Senator, There's look, misinformation this is, look, on both partisan, sides, but the Senator, censorship and Senator, suppression look, we're trying to primarily do issues here, in from fact, the left. Partisan cable, look, you can go back on your partisan cable cocoon and talk about media bias all you want. I understand it's part of your identity. Wow. This is the same guy who has a show on MSNBC. <laughs> He's part of the partisan cable cocoon um, and has been for a long time. But I love his I'm above it all. At one point there, he says, I, I have skepticism of both parties. Really? Where's the evidence of that? Is that, you know, maybe it pops up every 10th interview or so for a moment, but you don't. Um, and he's putting it back on him saying, uh, you know, look, there's really no reason. Uh, I'll accept, I guess, that your interest in Hunter is sincere. Right. I'll take you at your word that you're that you are ethically bothered. And this is Ron Johnson saying, why aren't you? Why wouldn't you want us to look into this? Right, Glenn, what do you make of it? I mean, first of all, I mean, obviously what Chuck Todd meant there when he said go back to your partisan cocoon is he's saying Fox News is a partisan cocoon, whereas we on these all these other networks and the rest of the media are not. Just the other day, Tucker Carlson goes on his show and says, why don't we know? Why aren't we seeing Mitch McConnell's? tax returns? Where did all of his wealth come from? This is the senior Washington, the senior Republican in Washington. So that's supposedly the partisan cocoon, a network that constantly criticizes and attacks Republican leaders in a journalistic way. You will never hear on MSNBC or CNN any major critiques of senior Democratic leaders in Washington, anything like what Tucker said many other times or other people on Fox say about Republicans. And the fact that, as Ron Johnson said, you're telling me, why am I interested? Why aren't you interested? We know for sure that Hunter Biden was trading on his father's name in a critical country, Ukraine, which we're now centrally involved in to the point of a clear proxy war. Whatever you think of that war, you're for it or against it. It's a very dangerous war. We're centrally involved in it. We know that the Biden family was heavily involved in trying to profit and did profit in Ukraine. Why would you not want to investigate that? And why is it left to the Republican Party to do? We have a media that's supposed to be doing that. And the fact that they refuse to, it's amazing. That clip from Chuck Todd proved everything Ron Johnson was saying. 
Exactly right. And that wasn't the only one. There was another exchange uh, Chuck Todd had with James Comer about investigations into Hunter Biden. And and he tries to dismiss it all as you got a personal vendetta, Comer. It's this is personal for you. Listen to this. Sat six. There are emails and text messages that show Hunter Biden complaining about having to spend so much money keeping his dad up. I mean, that's a concern because Hunter Biden's only that's, source of income yeah, were from our adversaries in China and, and Russia for influence peddling. So this is something that we should look into. This isn't political. We want to know it was the president truthful when he said he didn't have any knowledge or involvement right. of his family's shady business dealings. And once we determine that, we'll move on. Well, it does sound personal uh, at that. And we'll see how the year goes on. OK, let me just so he. This House Oversight uh, Committee chairman, uh, James Comer, he gets he gets ripped. It's personal if you want to go after Hunter. Uh, Ron Johnson gets ripped. Uh, go back to your partisan cable cocoon. If you if you think it's media bias that I'm not interested in Hunter Biden. And let's just see. Maybe maybe Chuck Todd has no interest in investigations of members of the president's family. Maybe he thinks that's just a waste of taxpayer time. We shouldn't bother. Okay. Oh, you know what? There's tape. Let's just take a look. Let's take a look. Oh, back, there um, is. Yeah, okay, when yeah. Trump was president. And let's let's see right. how he sounded back then. Stop five. Donald Trump's campaign may have all sorts of problems. But one thing we know, it's been good for business. His business. The Trump campaign paid nearly $5,000 to Eric Trump Wine Manufacturing. The campaign has spent over $6 million at Trump-owned businesses. What do you believe that Deutsche Bank financial records are going to show you? If this is... A form of compromise. It needs to be exposed. You now believe that the Trump Organization is a criminal enterprise? Let's just say that they committed crimes. Mr. Trump sought to make millions in business dealings with Russia during the campaign. And no, the investigation was not a witch hunt. And we could go. I mean, honestly, we, that clip could have gone on for another five minutes talk, targeting the children and so on. Very different story now. When I uh, first started writing about politics in 2005, when when I was a lawyer and then and kind of had a career change. One of my primary critiques of the media was that they were insufficiently adversarial to the government. They would fail to challenge statements by government leaders that often were untrue or dubious. They would kind of just, you know, pass them along. I never liked the form of journalism that said, this side says this, this side says this, who are we to decide who's right? You know, I think it is the job of journalists trying to find the truth and not just pass along mindlessly what each side was saying. And so sometimes people would ask me during the Trump era years when the media was being so adversarial to Trump, well, you know, the kinds of things Chuck Todd was raising, some of those are legitimate questions. Aren't you happy that the media is now being more adversarial to the government? I would say I would be throwing parties if I thought that this was really a change in media behavior that was going to endure past <laughs> right. the Trump administration. But since I know that it's not going to, that this is specific to Donald Trump, that the minute there's a Democrat in the White House or there's a Republican who's more acceptable, a kind of more establishment type that they like a little bit more and can live with, all of that behavior is going to disappear. And you just, you know, there's you could spend, as you say, weeks showing videotape that demonstrate that exactly the kinds of things they were doing and questions they were asking during the Trump years are now suddenly ones they've declared off limits with Joe Biden in the White House. Mm -hmm. But now, you know, when a Republican comes on and says, let's take a look at this Hunter Biden and Joe Biden 
you know, corruption influence peddling situation. It's, oh, I'm sure it's personal or, okay, I'll take you at your word that you have a sincere interest in that. Why don't you have a sincere interest in that? Why don't you want to know, especially now that we know Hunter Biden was living in the home where all those classified documents were? Why did he ever access them? Will anybody subpoena him and find out? Not that we'd get the truth, but it might be interesting. And I remain on this front on this push too. What's being done or already has been done since they found those Biden documents in November to figure out where the Obama documents stand? How about the Carter documents? How, the, how about the Bill Clinton? How about all their vice presidents? What, if we're going to do this, if we're going to have the nosy little national archivist go sort of pimp out former presidents for the documents that he can't find on his log. Let's do it to all of them. Or has it already been done and just didn't leak out to the papers. Would love to know. Glenn Greedwald stays with us and we're going to talk about CNN now possibly getting John Stewart to compete against Greg Gutfeld. Oh my God. NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. If approved, applications are typically funded the next business day or sooner. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So the latest out of the struggling cable news networks, Glenn, is that um, CNN may now try to throw comedy into the 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. slot that remains vacated after Chris Cuomo was thrown out and Don Lemon was demoted to being one of a trio on a fledgling, just unwatchable morning show. Um, But in any event, so they have two hours unfilled and they have nobody. Let's face it. CNN has no rising stars and they have nobody to fill them. So they're looking over at Fox News and Greg Gutfeld is crushing it in his show, which goes Monday through Friday at 11. Roger always knew Greg Gutfeld was a star. He used to tell me that that Gutfeld was one of the only ones he could put in O'Reilly's chair when O'Reilly was out and draw a number. And sure enough, he's drawn a number on his own now in his own in his own show. So CNN reportedly looking at either trying to get Bill Maher. Why would Bill Maher want to do that? He already has his own successful show every Friday. He's already got national influence on HBO. Why would he join HBO? I realize they're a sister now, HBO and CNN. Bill Maher or Jon Stewart, who technically remains under contract to Apple, but his show is not doing very well and has been panned almost universally. So, you know, the left is in love with Jon Stewart. And my thinking is, A, he's not the answer to their problems. But B, I don't think the new owners of CNN who are trying to take it to a more newsy place, remember, would ever okay that John Stewart, but he seems to be the one they're eyeballing as the chief possibility. What do you think? I mean, Megan, first of all, I think it's an extraordinary thing that Greg Gutfeld is the number one late night comedy host. I mean, you know, when we were growing up, The Tonight Show, 
was the place that all Americans gathered. You know, Johnny Carson was like the Walter Cronkite. He brought everyone together. Tens of millions of people watched. And I understand that, you know, even with cable, it continued to be successful. And I understand the, the environment is different now. There's so many more options. But the reality is, is that the market is completely oversaturated with the same kind of person. Every one of these supposedly edgy comedians like Jimmy Kimmel and uh, Jimmy Fallon and who are the others? Seth Meyers. Um, Comedy Stephen Colbert. Central. Yeah. Yeah. Colbert. They all sound like, you know, Nancy Pelosi's grandchild. You know, they're all like <laughs> good little boys who spout liberal pieties. There's nothing funny about them. They're, they're completely predictable. And everybody who turned into one of those kinds of liberals, like, oh, I'm going to make jokes about how Trump is orange or how he has, you know, gay relations with Vladimir Putin. None of these people succeeded because they all ended up copying one another and all sounded exactly alike. So mm -hmm. whatever you think about what Jon Stewart used to be, what he is now is that, you know, there's not a single left wing or liberal piety he's willing to challenge or offend. He's just Stephen Colbert. He's, you know, a copy of everybody else. So to take someone like that, that type, that prototype, he's already failing. You know, yes, he was a big deal. Stephen Colbert used to be a big deal, too. But they all became the same thing. And that's why Greg Gutfeld is the number one late night host in the country on Fox and not even on one of the networks. Um, and so CNN is, I think, nothing more than it's the, the whole model is dying. You know, the model of just being a cable show that feeds people 24 hours a day, the same ideology, the same fealty to one party that produces the same content that you get if you open the the, the Atlantic or the New Yorker or read on the op-ed page of the New York Times or, or, or the Washington Post or on any of these. It's all the same. So why would anybody want to watch any of this when you're getting it constantly fed to you all the time? And that's why. The part of the media that is growing is our part. The part that is independent, that's heterodox, that's not controlled. That's who people trust. So, you know, good luck with John Stewart. I mean, if that's who they think is going to be the savior of CNN, I mean, to me, you know, John Stewart is failing because he's just not funny. He sounds like the rest of them. Mm -hmm. I'll, I just pulled this up just for kicks. Um, this is seven plus years ago, 2015. Fallon was pulling in about 3.78 million a night. Colbert, 3.17 million. Kimmel, 2.53 million. Seth Meyers, he's always been the loser of the bunch, 1.62 million uh, and so on. Okay. So, you know, Fallon and Colbert neck and neck uh, for top dog at 3.78, 3.17. You know what they're getting now? Uh, this is just the latest I pulled uh, from September a couple months ago. Uh, Colbert. 1.8 million, Fallon 1.4, Kimmel 1.3. Their audience has disappeared. It has disappeared. And do you have any idea how much those guys are getting paid to put those paltry numbers on the board? These are extremely expensive shows. Extre I know I worked at NBC. I've seen how it works behind the scenes there. Extremely expensive to produce. And it's just not a sustainable business model. Never mind what's happening at Comedy Sh Central, where the Daily Show was li like 340,000 viewers a night. Gutfeld over 2 million every night on cable, where you necessarily get fewer viewers because people have to pay to have cable, whereas broadcast comes right into their into their TV. So there's a reason instead of just thinking about, you know, what are they doing that works? Like maybe we could be 
ripping on both sides like Jay Leno used to do, right? When the show used to be successful. Nope, they're, they don't want to do that. They're going to double down on their partisanship or uh, they're going to both double down on their partisanship and they're going to try to call a comedy like they do with Jon Stewart. The other possibility, Glenn, is um, they may, they've discussed turning the nine to 12 midnight hours into a series of shows modeled, brace yourself, like a variety program with shows within shows for different journalists, one network uh, said reportedly. So <laughs> I guess we're going to get like the Anderson Cooper, Wilf Blitzer, Don Lemon variety hour because none of those people worked or is working right now as journalists. But we think if we, what they sing and dance, people are going to watch. <laughs> <laughs> I just read an article this week that uh, NBC is deeply regretting they just extended Jimmy Fallon's contract, which is an $85 million contract, I think, for five years. So what is that math? Like $15 million a year or more. And he's getting a smaller audience than Greg Gutfeld on cable, as you just said. Yeah. I mean, again, I know the media ecosystem has changed. No one expects, say, Johnny Carson numbers. You know, the other option, Megan, for co comedians might just be to like actually do comedy and oh. not be political commentators. But we don't accept that anymore in our culture. Like everything, you can't watch a sports network without being battered over the head with political ideology and dogma. Everything has become politicized. Everything, you know, there is no such thing any longer as cultural products for that unite all Americans that are devoid of political content. Um, and, you know, I'm not like occasionally Johnny Carson or somebody like that would, you know, kind of wander a little bit into a political cause, but it was not intended for that. It was an entertainment show. It was a comedy show. They had on actresses and actors and people and comedians. And that was why it was successful. But there's no conception of that anymore. You know, the funniest thing I ever saw happen is CNN decided to launch CNN Plus. Hosted by people that you could watch for free. But that everyone is choosing not to watch for free. And they were shocked to learn that nobody was willing to pay to watch the people they're already not watching for free. And it got so put out of true. his misery in 21 days. So these are not geniuses running CNN. And I think their problem is, in reality, they're trying to fix what is actually just a, a completely broken ship. It's sinking. Yeah. And it's the proverbial moving of deck chairs around as it does. It would be amazing if in this era where they think they're appeasing Republicans and trying to get Republican viewers and independent viewers to come back to them by hiring some Fox, not some Fox, but some Republican contributors. You know, they've hired a couple of GOP contributors that then they they give two hours of their prime time to Jon Stewart. <laughs> OK, <laughs> see how that works out with the people you're trying to win back. OK, you've been warned. I've gone on record. So is Glenn. See how that works out. It's not going to go very well. Um, all right. Before we go, I want to ask you about you, uh, if you don't mind, and do a little a personal Glenn Greenwald news, because you've really been struggling. You and your husband have really been struggling with his health. So if you don't mind, how how's he doing and how has this been for you? Um, yeah, it's definitely been, you know, by far the most difficult uh, struggle in my life. Um my husband's a, an elected congressman in, in Brazil. And this year, as we discussed, was an election. He was at a campaign event. He was running for re-election. Felt really severe abdominal pain. Went to the ER. They admitted him. 
immediately. Um, he had a very severe uh, infection in his multiple organs in his digestive system and in his abdominal system. And he's been in ICU for ever since. So since August 6th, so that's now we're in our, to our sixth month. Um, wow. There were moments when, you know, the doctors called and basically said the chances that he would uh, be able to get through the next 48 hours were close to zero. Um, you know, I'm talking about the person who I've been married with for 17 years. We're raising children together. Um, you know, it's been extraordinarily difficult. Um, but thankfully, in the last, I would say, month, five weeks, he's finally begun to show some really meaningful improvements. He's now getting stronger each day. Um, he's awake and he's lucid and he's communicative and able to, you know, have visitors every day and, and, and speak with our kids. And that I think our kids visiting is the thing that helps the most. So he's still in ICU. The dangers aren't all gone. Um, but the doctors are now, you know, very optimistic about his prospect for a full recovery. But obviously when the person you love most in the world that you've shared your life with for two decades, um, is in ICU extremely sick. Um, it's a thing that you can't imagine just the kind of struggle and pain that that produces. But, you know, as I told him the last time I see him, there's that song and that phrase that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And I feel like that's going to be the case for our family, for, for me, for sure. And, and definitely for him as well. So I appreciate your asking. God, of course, please send him David our best. I, I don't like, how are you doing everything? Glenn, how are you launching a new show, continuing to report on the news, taking care of your kids? Obviously, you've gotten that lion's share uh, over the past six months. Going to visit David, like, I mean, are you, how are you? <laughs> I mean, the problem was, you know, for the first, you know, he's 37 years old. So, um, you know, and it's not like we got a cancer diagnosis a year ago and now he's slowly deteriorating. It was very sudden. Um, so, you know, it was, it was just, it was, you know, part of it was just, you know, I was in shock for the first month, at least. Um, so I didn't work at all for, I think, six weeks. I didn't, you know, use the internet. I didn't do anything. And, you know, my, my, I had people advising me on how to get through these sorts of things, mental health professionals and the like. And they, I never thought I would hear anyone tell me I, I needed to elevate the priority of my work. Cause usually people are telling me I need to deprioritize it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, basically they said, look, you have the responsibility of taking care of your kids and, you know, not taking care of them in the sense of like making sure they have lunch and sandwiches, but you know, they're suffering in all sorts of extreme ways, you know, with, with the grave illness of their, their father and, mm -hmm. and taking care of them means trying to support them emotionally when sometimes you have trouble, you know, obviously doing it for yourself and so, you know, the idea was you need to try and normalize your life as much as possible, which means trying to do some work, trying to make sure all parts of you are enlivened, doing exercise, eating, doing the most to take care of yourself. Because, you know, it's kind of like the airlines thing, you know, when if the if the, the the cabin decompresses, make sure you put your own mask on before you put the mask on your child because you need to take care of yourself before you can take care of others. So that was try what I tried to do and taking things one day at a time, you know, just waking up and saying, okay, he's today, he's alive. Um, it, wow. but it was a lot to get through for sure. You know, yes, you need to take care of them in all the ways you just stated. But another good thing about you starting the new show reminds me of when my kids were very little and I was feeling sad about going to work. I didn't want to leave my babies and my friend and then babysitter Betty said to me, there are lots of ways of taking care of them. 
you know, and it's and your new show is another way of keeping the household steady and keeping the paychecks coming. That's important. Support Glenn by watching that show and going over to Rumble and and reading everything he writes. Um, all the best to you both, Glenn. We're rooting for you. Thank you, Megan. It's always great. I'm so happy to be back on your show after too long and uh, I look forward to talking to you again. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Today, we have a stellar culture panel with two former pageant queens who are now moms fighting for their children and yours. Carrie Prejean Bowler and Britt Mayer are joining us to discuss the latest on a disturbing story coming out of San Diego County, where they live, and much more. And what I love about you two, Carrie and Britt, is you are a testament to sort of the, the you know, armchair warrior and what a difference you can make. Like moms across the country who are feeling like, what can I do? I don't have a platform. You can do this. These two are all over the the nastiness popping up here, there and everywhere in their town and across the country trying to shame people like Balenciaga out of exploiting children. And you can join their mission, too. All right. So that's one of the many reasons I love talking to you. Um, Let's there's a lot to get into. So first of all, the YMCA is in trouble uh, and it should be because a young girl, 17 year old girl, went through the, the YMCA and was in the locker room afterward. And unbeknownst to her, she was walking right into trouble because she was at a YMCA in California where the law requires them to let any person use the locker room or bathroom that aligns with their their chosen gender identity. Okay, so a a biological man can easily use the women's locker room if he just says I'm a woman and no questions are allowed to be asked. So it really could. It invites imposters. It absolutely invites imposters who aren't even trans. Um, Any event. So this girl goes in there and sees a naked male penis staring at her. And you know what? She's a teenager. She was shocked. She was uncomfortable. And here she is describing the situation later. As I was showering after my workout, I saw a naked male in the women's locker room. I immediately went back into the shower, terrified, and hid behind their flimsy excuse for a curtain until he was gone. I could only think of my five-year-old sister, who I bring to this gym during the summer to to enjoy their water slides. This is the YMCA, where hundreds of children spend their summer afternoons in childcare camps. This is the YMCA where my little sister took gymnastics lessons, the locker room, was supposed to be her safe haven to gossip with her friends and shower and change. When I asked the YMCA management what their policy was regarding transgenders, 
They confirmed that the man that I saw was indeed allowed to shower wherever he pleased. As long as you are not a red flag on Megan's Law, the California Sex Offender Registry, a grown male can shower alongside a teenage girl at your YMCA location here in Santee. I was made to feel as though I had done something wrong when I talked to people at the YMCA. Somehow, the indecent exposure of a male to a female minor was an inconvenience to them. The fact that we are now tailoring our privacy policies and bathroom laws around transgenders, ignoring the blatant threat to safety that this poses is obscene. The safety of children, girls, is on the chopping block. So I implore you all to take action. With great privilege comes great responsibility. How about Rebecca Phillips, age 17, standing up for herself and other kids? Carrie, what did you make of this whole controversy? Because the YMCA doesn't seem particularly concerned. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Britt and I had the privilege to talk to Rebecca, and she is a hero, first of all. Um, 17 years old, she is a hero for telling her story. And what we're seeing is policies that pander to a gender ideology cult. Yes, that's what it is. It's a cult. And if you don't obey and take on their language, you are now the problem. And so, Rebecca, bravo to you, bravo to your parents for raising such a strong woman to stand up. And this is the tipping point, Megan. You know, this is where the rubber hits the road. And we have to decide what part of history do we want to be on? Do we want to pander what I call the trans privilege? That's what it is. Because if it was just any other man in the women's locker room exposing his penis to a minor, he'd be arrested. But because he's a trans, he has privilege. Nothing happens to him. He escapes and walks away free. It's disgusting, it's disturbing, and it has to stop. The, this, this incident, Britt, really brings the whole thing home because even if you talk about bathroom use, okay, if, if there's a trans person goes into, let's say, a woman's bathroom, we don't see each other. It's not like being in a guy's room where they're all at the urinal. In the women's bathroom, we don't look at each other. Get your own stall. You might not ever know. But in a woman's locker room, it's a different story. And this really underscores the dangers Yes, there are potential dangers of somebody misusing this law to take advantage of young girls and also just the trauma that this can induce for a woman who is expecting to see only other women in there. And the YMCA, their initial reaction was to say to her dad, who called up complaining, she was never in any danger. She was safe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, who are you? Right. Brit, to tell me that. And then to say to her that trans woman was perfectly entitled to be there. And um, basically too bad if you didn't like it, because this is policy. Yeah, isn't it so disturbing? I mean, this is this is where the rubber hits the road. This is where policies begin to truly affect people. And we've been riding on this woke train for a long time where we're saying that we'll go ahead and we'll be virtuous and we'll say that men can be women and, you know, no one gets hurt, you know, because we're just just words. But now we're realizing that words are the guardrails of society. And when you start shifting words and tearing down meanings, you recreate society. And it is what we've been saying for a long time. This is a war on women, on girls, and really on societal order. And you know what I wanted to point out with everything you were just saying, Megan, is that in the wise um, promise to serve all, all, right? All creating an inclusive YMCA in their general guidelines. It says regarding restroom and locker room accessibility, legal gender, physical genitalia, 
or gender expression do not dictate the use of gender segregated spaces. Trans individuals may select either locker room or restroom. Requiring someone to use a bathroom or other gendered area they do not identify with can be detrimental for a trans individual's well-being and safety and puts the YMC at risk for discrimination complaints. I read this and I was so floored because it's so blatant. It's it's propping up trans individuals as the ones whose well-being could be at risk. But what about the little Rebecca's and the little five-year-olds who are in ballet and gymnastics? Doesn't their well-being matter? I mean, if truly we're all about creating an inclusive YMCA for all, then they have to be taken into account as well. And it seems that that's just been thrown out the window. Well, you know, what we're not even getting to yet is what about the little girls who don't have their clothes on? I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's what happens. You go to the YMCA, you take a yep. swim, you go back to the girls room. It's embarrassing enough to take all your clothes off when you're a young girl in front of your little girlfriends. Never mind if a biological man with his penis hanging out is walking by you. You would be mm-hmm. humiliated. You would be embarrassed. Mm-hmm. You might be genuinely afraid and not understand what's happening. I mean. They, you're right. They, they're talking about safety of people who are trans. But what about the position they're putting these young ones in who don't even have the language yet to express how uncomfortable this makes them? That's exactly right. And that's why it's time now for us to stare it in the face and decide what as a society our default position is going to be. You know, is our default position going to be that we're just going to do away with all societal order that we have established for years and years and years in this country where women are protected. Women have, we've gained rights that we strived for, for hundreds of years. Are we going to just toss that all by the wayside now and say, well, hey, we're going to favor this new ideological cult coming in and you're just going to have to put up with a penis being out in the locker room while your five-year-old is showering. I mean, really, we're at the tipping point where we are going to have to decide and answer as a nation to this situation that we're, we now find ourselves in. It's been yes. brewing for a long time, and we're at the point now where we're going to have to give an answer on what is our default position? What, well, what's it going to be? You know what? This is what you guys are doing. Okay, this is what you two are doing. You are recognizing that we have to be the squeaky wheel, even yes. if it makes us uncomfortable, even if people call us names, we have to be the squeaky wheel because they said it in that statement you just read, Britt. Otherwise, we could be sued. And they're right. They can be sued. Thanks to California law, they can be sued if they tell the trans woman, which means biological man who says that he's a woman, that she can't use the facility. They can be sued. So what they're calculating is risk, Carrie, that they're going to get sued by the trans person. But the 17 year old girl, the five year old girl, their parents are not going to bother us like they're going to go. They don't have the special protection. So let's make them pay. Yeah, you're exactly right. Why are they not worried about Rebecca suing? which I hope that she's speaking to several lawyers about this. And I, I hope she does sue, actually. So, Rebecca, if you're listening, make sure you investigate this and, and hire a lawyer and really call Alliance Defending Freedom. Yes, exactly. But the Brit and I, you know, we were talking about this yesterday, and this is how a war starts. You know, you slap mm-hmm. down their rainbow flag, you change language, you, you know, redefine words, you demand all obey, right? Everybody better obey. You brainwash the masses, steal our identity as women and convince down is up and up is down. And we're not going to, we're not going to adapt this. We're, you know, we're not going to say, yes, men are women and women are men. No, absolutely not. 
we're going to take back what's ours and hopefully inspire other moms and dads, especially to rise up, fight back. This is what we need to do. Rise up, take a stand, decide what side you want to be on and fight the battle because this is war. We, we are in a war and we are seeing right now the effects of policies like, you know, San Diego out of all places, redefining what a woman is and where were the women? Well, that's the thing. So it's like, yes. Okay. What if we want to be respectful of them, of, of a trans woman who's, you know, a biological man who says that he's part of our team, right? What if we (laughs) want to be respectful of said person? Does it go two ways? Can, Can we have any spaces that are reserved for actual women? No, we can't. I mean, the California lawmakers have said no. And your mere request is bigotry. You're a bigot if you don't want your five-year-old daughter seeing the penis in the girl's locker room. It's insane. And even the YMCA, the YWCA, whatever, their response here has been to say, uh, first they said, okay, as part of our commitment to make sure everyone feels comfortable, we are reviewing our locker room floor plans across all facilities within our association. Guess, you tell me, Who's going to be bounced over to the small little space without the mirror or the locker? It's going to be the vast majority. It's going to be all the women because they know Mm -hmm. the trans person will sue them if they get to go Mm. into the women's locker room. But it's a tiny little area. Yeah. And you know what's so interesting about I'm so glad you brought up that statement. Carrie and I were talking about that. We've been in close contact with Rebecca. We both talked to her yesterday. Um, she saw the statement as well. And she had such a great point that I think, um, she's, she's brilliant. She's a brilliant little girl and she's going to go places. Um, but she told me that when she looked at their statement, you know, which said, oh, we're going to review our floor plans. And, you know, we apologize for the position that Rebecca was put in. It was just this lip service, you know, very monochromatic response from the YMCA and it took international attention for it, for their hand to be shown on this. But Rebecca said, and I thought it was such a good point. She said, you know, it's interesting, like the YMCA just keeps pointing to the legal aspect, right? This is California law. This is the the whole County of San Diego redefining what a woman is. But interestingly, this really, when you look at what's at stake, this isn't about what's legal or not. It's about what is right and what is wrong. And that's what we need to be focusing on it. Laws change. We've seen things that have been upheld for years and years and years be torn down because they were wrong. And that's what this is about. So when the YMCA released their statement, I was so let down by it. I maybe I held out for a little teeny bit of hope that they were going to rise above, you know, and they'd release something that would make them the hero in in the situation. And they could say, hey, we're going to take it to California because this is wrong. And they've put us in a situation where our members are going to be hurt. And this is insane policies dictating how we as a nonprofit organization function. And it's wrong. And they yeah. didn't. They said, no, we're going to review our plans. Yeah, they're on board. And, and, they, and they, they've reminded their employees that they're not allowed to, quote, teach acceptance or hate, that they are supposed to teach acceptance and not hate. Yep. This is not this is not hate. What this young girl is complaining about is not hate. It it's actually comports with the with the entirety of human history, except for the mm-hmm. last two minutes in some very far left <laughs> circles. Right. And what a thing it would have been if the YMCA would have stood up and said, we understand what the law is. We will not comply. 
We will not. Absolutely. Comply. We will protect yes. the young girls. That's it. That's that is exactly it, Megan. And that's what it was that aha moment for me where I'm like, man, they missed the mark. And YMCA, you know, they are a national organization so well fortified. They could have taken this opportunity in the days it took them to release this statement. And they could have actually played the hero in this. And they didn't. They they mm-hmm. bent to the mob. So when we talk about middle ground, it's like we just keep caving and caving and caving and organizations keep caving and caving to these these policies that are built by an ideological cult that is at war with society and no one's no one's standing up and fighting you know ymca had an amazing opportunity to be that hero and they missed it yes or at least carito said we have to comply with California law, but we want to make clear we object to this. This is wrong what they've done, like whatever. There's a way of doing this to comporting with the law without completely selling your soul and calling people like Rebecca implicitly bigots, hateful. There's nothing hateful about this young girl or her five year old little sister. But, you know, this reminds me of the thing that um, that happened in American Girl doll, which I did not realize is now owned by Mattel. I mean, we're Mm. all moms. We all own toys by Mattel. That's like where you go for toys. And they're the ones who are uh, obviously okay with this trans book being pushed on girls at American Girl Doll. First of all, what like who told you you were in the business of educating my kid on gender ideology at American Girl Doll? All I want is a little doll that looks like my kid. That's why we go there. Shut up about everything Mm -hmm. beyond that. (laughs) But they're pushing this book that's educating the little girls on how like the doctor, your parents tell you what your gender is, but their parents aren't always right. You get to decide. And if you decide before puberty, you can take these pills that were this is in American Girl doll stores. They won't pull it. The store stands behind it. That's one of those popular brands in America. Mm-hmm. What's crazy, Megan, is that I, I say this all the time. I'm like, why are these businesses catering to the less than 1%, really, it's like they're committing, you know, suicide, basically, like business suicide. Why would they pander and cater to the less than 1% when everyday Americans, I mean, I used to take my daughter to the American Girl store, you know, since she was a little girl. And that was like a tradition in our family where we would go and we would spend the day and she would pick out her favorite doll. Now we can't even do that. We can't even take our daughter and have her buy an American Girl doll without without this ideology being shoved down our throats. And this is where the American people have to vote with their dollars. We're seeing woke businesses every single day collapsing. Victoria's Secret, Disney, now American Girl doll, because they're adapting to this gender ideology cult, which is what we need to start calling it. It's exactly what it is. We I need just to not buy a doll. Yeah, I just want to buy a doll. I mean, yeah, we stop this madness. It's absolutely insane. And it's hurting our girls. Uh, Right. And it's such Mm -hmm. a small percentage of the population for them to be saying and confusing young kids with things like, quote, if you haven't gone through puberty yet, the doctor might offer medicine to delay your body's changes, giving you more time to think about your gender ideology. This is from a book called Body Image, How to Love Yourself, Live Life to the Fullest and Celebrate All Kinds of Bodies that American Girl is offering as a, quote, smart girl's guide to socially and medically transitioning from one Mm. gender to another. It's I mean, it's been a long time since I've been in that store, but I I won't go back in. And if I had a younger girl, I wouldn't be taking her anywhere near the bookshelf. 
Mm-mm. No, it it doesn't surprise me either that Mattel is who bought out um, American Girl. I mean, I remember American Girl doll when I was little. And I think there was like a Samantha that looked like me and it was all historical. And um, I, I loved it. And then now to see how far they've come is just it shows you how rapid this is all happening to its maddening pace. You know, it's like you, you know can't what, even Brit, so keep right. your finger on the pulse because it's just it's everywhere and it's happening so fast. But it doesn't surprise me that it's Mattel. I remember when you said Mattel, it triggered a memory that I remember being at my local Target with my daughter. And um, I had to cover her eyes when we went through the doll section because there was a Mattel doll that you could change its gender. And it was the first neutral doll that was being launched. And you could make it a boy or you could make it a girl. And it was on an end cap for all to see. And so it doesn't surprise me. It's a very diabolical evil that is being pushed into our society. And the targets, it's our kids. The book that you're talking about, I looked at it and it's marketed to ages three to 12. And Carrie and I were talking about it. We're like, kids don't even know their ABCs at age three. And they're supposed to be told that if you don't feel like the little boy you are, there are drugs for that. Oh, my God. There's no safe space now for girls. That's the thing, Carrie. So mm-hmm. the, the little girls can't. This is how we first had you girls on, you gals. We uh, they can't go to school without having drag queen story hour shoved down there. Right. That's one. They can't go to American Girl doll without getting this foisted upon them. They can't go to the YMCA for a little recreation without walking by a, a naked male penis while they're just trying to change out of their bathing suit. Like that's why Ron DeSantis did what he did down in Florida, where he said, at least in the classroom, I'm keeping this out of the curriculum for the very young children. And the left is still freaking out about that order to this day, saying it's he's some sort of hideous bigot. Hmm. Yeah, the party that was once champions for women. But remember that believe all women and, you know, women are equality. The future is female, right? No, um, actually, that, that's not what it is. The, the party of the left that was supposed to be champions for women are now complicit in this blatant assault on women and attack on women and young girls. And where are the feminists, Megan? Completely mm-hmm. silent. It's mm-hmm. now going to be up to the conservative mom, the mama bears, to rise up and fight back because the feminists created this mess. And now we're seeing the results of it. I have to tell you, um, Speaking of Ron DeSantis, I talked to my mom last night, who's just amazing. And she said she had two people over and she goes, they really love that Ron DeSanto. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love she, your mom. Nobody knows amazing. how to say his last name. <laughs> <laughs> she's amazing. I'll take it. Makes me laugh. She calls him Dr. Fawcett. She doesn't understand the Fauci. <laughs> okay, um, it's not just happening in crazy California. Like we're seeing the drag shows in Texas, the, you know, drag shows in Florida. Like these are happening all over, all over the nation, not just here in California. No, so, you know, yeah, it's happening in Iowa. Us. Yeah. People yeah. And of us in California, but it's like, no, this is happening everywhere. You guys. Yeah. It's you know, terrifying. going back real quick to the, the YMCA issue just for a second, because it ties into what Carrie just said. I had a friend text me this morning and she uh, worked for the YMCA for 13 years. And um, her neighbor out in Tennessee is the CEO of the Tennessee YMCA. And so she shared the story with him about Rebecca. And she said that um, he looked into those, the guidelines, right? That out here, it's crazy California, right? Surely not in your neighborhood, not at your YMCA. And he found 
that the wise open locker room policy is in effect in 26 states. Mm -hmm. This is insane. So, you know, as a mom, I'm advocating for all moms across the nation to call your local YMCA and ask them what their guideline policies are for locker rooms and for your five-year-old daughter who's Mm -hmm. finishing a swim and she's going to go change. Is there going to be a man in there with his penis out saying that he's a woman? You need to call your YMCA and find out because it's not just crazy California. And we have said for a long time that what happens in California spreads. It's like a cancer. It's true. It's like their their uh, their green car policy that automatically gets adopted in several states. And we happen to treat them as a leader for some reason in these cultural issues as well. We'll get Mm -hmm. to their crazy ass push for reparations right now. It is insane what they're doing in San Francisco in particular. They want to give, is it $5 million to every black person in San Francisco who can either prove that they're the descendant of a slave or that they have an ancestor who lived before 1900. I mean, it's or Mm -hmm. if they went to prison for the war on drugs, if somebody got in prison. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, And California was a free state. (laughs) California didn't have slavery. What are we doing? Yeah. What are we doing? Wait, can I identify as a black person now? No. Oh, that's the one thing you can't do. You cannot just ask Rachel Dolezal. She no, mm -mm, that's not allowed. Uh, But yeah, if you're a man, feel free to cross over to our lane. Um, Before Mm -hmm. we leave the transgender thing, I've got to ask you as former pageant queens, um, the Miss Universe pageant is now, well, Miss USA, right? Is it does this does the trans person own Miss Universe or does she own Miss USA? Oh, the entire enchilada. He is Mr. Universe now. Okay, so it is a biological man who says Mm -hmm. that he is a trans woman and um, this person is celebrating. It's very hard to pronounce the last name. Okay, I'm trying to trying to get it. Is it do you know how to say it? No, it doesn't even matter. I I don't know. He's trying to say he says he's very happy that he's she she is now owning the Miss Universe pageant, saying this competition will finally be run by women for all women. Take a listen to this. It has been 70 years that Miss Universe organization ran by men. But now Tom is up. is the moment really for women to take the lead. Welcome to the new era of the global women's empowerment platform. Welcome to the Miss Universe organization. From now on, it's going to be ran by women, owned by trans women, for all women. So is this an improvement off of men owning the pageant, which is how it was in the past? Absolutely not. Um, Back when Brittany and I competed in the Miss USA organization, Miss Universe organization, we had to sign a contract, believe it or not. This was just 10 years ago, saying that we were naturally born female. Wow. Look now. Mm -hmm. That was our, it was part of the contract. You could not compete if you didn't sign that. And I'd like to call this what it is. This is woman face, okay? Just like black face is wrong, this is woman face. He is not a woman. He never will be a woman. And we need to start fighting back and saying absolutely not. What an embarrassment. What 
a gender, stop gender appropriating us, just like cultural appropriation is wrong. This is gender appropriation. And we need mm-hmm. to start calling it like it is. Just because he slams his pecs together and puts on lipstick and fake hair and, you know, acts like he's a woman does not make him a woman. And the fact that these women are all celebrating this, it's such, it's, it's such a mockery of women. And we have to stop. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a difference between saying you're a trans woman and saying you're a woman. I object to somebody like that saying I'm a woman because you're not. And there's a special thing that is a woman that's really precious to most of us. And you're not it. Sorry. Um, mm-hmm. It's only so close mm-hmm. you can get to the club. It's only so close. But saying <laughs> I'm a trans woman, I, like I appreciate the distinction because so many who are trans just want to say like those that that couple that we talked about who was on the. Uh, the Ulta Beauty thing with their beards, mm. their actual physical beards, talking about how what it's like to be a girl and get a period, which you've never mm-hmm. done. Guys, you've <laughs> never done. Like, mm. I see this person in a different mm. lane. Am I wrong, Britt? No, you are so right. And, you know, what struck me when I saw him up there in the, the high heels and dress, and it was very dystopian, too. Very dystopian. It was uh, what's Hunger Games, right? It reminded me of Hunger Games vibes where it's like, welcome to the new era. And <laughs> With the deep voice. W- welcome to the future of womanhood. I was just, it was such a turn. We, and then I'm like, is it we men or <laughs> are you talking women? Uh, it was so dystopian. But um, I kept thinking women aren't costumes. Women aren't costumes. And uh, that's the the thing that's just been in the back of my mind through all of this is we're not costumes, but they're putting on costumes. And then, you know, it's been the feminists have for so long been at war with the patriarchy. Right. But all the patriarchy had to do was put on high heels and push their pecs together and call themselves a woman. And we'd all applaud. It's such like it just came full circle. You know, we swung the pendulum and the feminists ran out of the room and now it's come right back around and we're clapping to the patriarchy when they're up on stage saying, welcome to the future. They've got the threat. I like your word dystopian. I feel it too. And I watched that clip, but they're, they've got the threat over, over we which is mm-hmm. if you complain, we'll sue you. We'll label you a bigot. And we will shame you right out of the public square. You will be silenced. Mm-hmm. And of course, the truth is what's happening there is that a biological man is shaming a biological woman out of speaking up for her sex. She's not mm-hmm. allowed to have that opinion, the ones that you just espoused. Why again? Wait, why? Because of tolerance? Mm-hmm. And this is this is when you think about it in terms of like war games, and I'm going to go there. The, what we're seeing right now, it's war. You, ha- you have someone going up on an international stage and planting a flag and declaring welcome to the new era, that this is the future of women. And like you said, if you don't applaud, then you're going to be shamed because you're no longer a part of the culture. Your identity has been taken and it's been remade. This is war games. They what what conquering tribes would do is they would come in, they would plant their flag and they would say, you will now submit to our new order, the new laws of the land and the new language, and we will get rid of your cultural identity. So what is happening right now to women is we're seeing war games play out in real time and we're applauding and we're too afraid to say absolutely not because we will be shamed and we'll be called a bigot because it's war. Why don't they why don't they create like we do in sports? Well, like we should in sports, their own category. 
You know, why can't there be a Miss Transgender Miss USA if this is what they want to do? But this pageant that, again, it's a very long, difficult last name, but I think this person goes under the name of Anne Jackrajuatip, uh, the new owner of the Miss Universe pageant. Why can't that pageant create a different lane? Because we just last year, 2021, year plus, Miss Nevada offered us the very first openly transgender Miss USA, Cataluna Enriquez. And so that's already here's a picture of Cataluna. Um, already, that seems wrong to me. I mean, honestly, it does. Like you girls, I don't have to explain to you that men have certain advantages, actually, um, in competing in a in this kind of competition that could really give them an arm, a, a leg up like they would always have the perfect breasts. Like, they're, right, they're, right. There's not going to mm-hmm. be like a sagging issue that goes on with normal mm-hmm. women's breasts like their mm-hmm. butts would probably be a lot firmer with less cellulite, mm-hmm. right, than we have because we're women. Like, no, they were not going to have the natural curves that we have and all. But I'm just saying there are some elements to it that, as we see in the sports lane, feel unfair. And yet this, yeah. not surprisingly, <laughs> Anne Jakra tip is allowing that, too, to happen. What's so upsetting about this is I just looked up, um, he did an interview with the Wall Street Journal before the pageant, and he was bragging about how no no men are allowed on stage. No. And I'm like, you are so out of touch. Like, you think, (laughs) you really believe in your mind, you are mentally ill, that you believe that you're a woman. And yet the women on stage are applauding him. Oh, you're just such a good representation of us. No. That that's what blows my mind. You know, the left used to be champions of all women, believe all women. Now we have a man dressed up playing pretend because that's what it is. It's it's make believe. So we need to start calling it like it is. Well, and then, you know, and then you've got to compete against a biological man who says they're a woman on the stage. Mm -mm. I will say this. um, This is kind of promising. uh, There was a trans contestant suing. It's so confusing. Um, (laughs) All right. Suing. I want to get it right. Miss United States of America, which is a different pageant. That's why you've never heard of it. But there's a different (laughs) one, not Miss USA, but Miss United States of America, LLC, suing that pageant because that pageant said you have to be a natural born female, just like you said. Hmm. And the far left uh, Ninth Circuit, I think this was pretty sure I'm looking at my notes, said um, throughout the case saying, nope, you cannot you cannot sue that. You cannot sue over that and that the eligibility requirement is protected under the First Amendment's protection against compelled speech. It was a two to one decision. Yeah, it's got to be a Ninth Circuit because it's out of Oregon. In any event, that's great news, hmm. right? That's great news because that is good the news. courts are now saying yeah, that's if you want to enforce the gender rules on something like this, y- you can. Um, but it's tough when your state like California has a law on the book saying you can't. So anyway, all this is still playing out in the courts. Um, we'll, we'll pick it up there right after the break because there's much more to go over with Carrie and Britt. Don't go away. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. 
But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. So, gals, I don't know if you've seen this controversy involving this LSU gymnastics star, but I, I'm interested in your take on this. Her name is Livy Dunn. She's 20 years old. She's a superstar gymnast. And the reason she's a superstar is, yes, because she's a very talented gymnast, according to what I read at the college level. But she's also incredibly beautiful and very adept at using social media to promote her brand. She's able to do that and make money off of that because a year plus ago, the NCAA changed the rules to allow college athletes to make money off of their name, image, and likeness so they can monetize their social media and they can partner with advertisers. And I have to say, initially, I thought, well, this is very good. Um, This is especially good for young women because they don't have a lot of professional sports activities, not nearly as many as men do when they finish their college years so they can make some bank while they're, you know, stars at the college level and then go on and do what they want to do. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm starting to question whether I was right um, in my initial opinion, because what's happening here, and I get that she's savvy and she's beautiful and I wouldn't take any of her talents away from her, but something about this story is making me feel uncomfortable because she's posting on Instagram and all the others nonstop these very sexy photos. And now she's got throngs of young men showing up at all of the gymnastic meets. And it's to the point now where it's a huge distraction, like they're behaving badly. And it's not really her fault. Exactly. She said, please behave respectfully. Other girls are trying to compete. Uh, She at some of these is trying to compete, but they're young men and they're doing bad things and they're behaving badly. And it's become this huge distraction for gymnastics, her teammates, her opposing teammates, And I've got to be honest, I feel like, well, what about the girls who aren't this beautiful, who just wanted to do gymnastics and wanted the sport to be about the sport and not how pretty you can make yourself on social media and get, you know what I mean? I'm genuinely wrestling with it. I'm rooting for her, but I'm also feeling a little, "Mm," but I'm dying to get your takes on it. What do you think, Carrie? Yeah. I mean, my first reaction is where are her handlers? I mean, this is, it's so sad. And Britt and I talk about it all the time. It's like our young girls really, truly, we are at war. I mean, our kids, there's a war on women and children, especially young girls. They have no role models to look up to. I mean, we talked about this just a few weeks ago with you, Megan, you know, Kim Kardashian is who they want to emulate and it's who yeah. they look up to. So why are we, why are we surprised when we see young women, you know, doing this and, and putting their breasts out there and their butts out there on the internet just for the likes? for some random dude in Kansas to to tell them they're pretty. I mean, what message are we sending to our young girls? And so we need to start calling it like it is. And this girl should not be doing this. And I I honestly, I mean, I I was like you at first, I was like, oh, you know, good for her. Now the colleges aren't making all the money. Now it's the young, you know, the young people making the money, but she's really putting herself out there. And I think that she's, you know, there's a potential case where she could get hurt. You know, you could have a stalker, you could, you know, get assaulted. And I just feel like this is wrong. And we really need to teach our young girls to protect themselves. And what you put on the internet never goes away. What do you mm-hmm. mean? So how do you square that, Carrie, with, you know, having been in pageants 
and having to do the bathing? Like, how is this different in your mind from that? Well, I mean, yeah, parading yourself on stage, you know, showing that you work out and that you're healthy. I think we've lost touch with, you know, presenting yourself in a healthy way. Yes, I love showing, you know, beauty and expressing myself. But when you take it this far to where you're you're just showing yourself to the world and posing in a provocative way, that's totally different than showcasing your beauty on stage at a pageant. You know, would I let my daughter compete in Miss USA? Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> you know, but I think that her handlers need to get a hold of her and, and you know, rein her back a little bit because this is ultimately going to hurt her, I think. They're the not going to do it, Britt. She's making bank. She's making, she's reportedly worth $2.3 million now mm-hmm. at this very young age. She made like a million dollars, I think, this past year alone. I can't remember what the number is, but she's worth 2.3 because of these mm-hmm. social media posts because she happens to be, pr- be pretty and yeah. she, whatever. But like, think about it. Like, if you're another girl who doesn't have the benefits of just great genetics, right? And you, but you kick ass at gymnastics. It used to be, that would be enough. Like you could just show up, Mary Lou Redden, whoever, and you just kick ass, be strong, be the best. And you you'll be the one with all the accolades. Now we're so vain. We are the Kim Kardashian selfie vanity culture. Mm. And mm-hmm. that's the lane that she's actually making her money in. Yeah. It's not really. I'm yes. sure there are other great gymnasts. You're exactly right. And was it Mary Lou Retton? Was she the one that broke her ankle and then did it again and like landed it perfectly? Wasn't it? I think I'm trying to remember my, but, but I think that was Carrie Strug and then she nailed it. Oh yeah. But Mary Lou Retton Gosh, also that was gave amazing. Us an amazing moment. She was my she hero. Was yeah. She was my hero, but you know, it's funny. That was before social media. And I remember watching that. I was in Yosemite when those Olympics aired and I was little. And I remember seeing that and just, you know, the crowd erupting and then, um, anyways, but I just remember seeing her strength, her perseverance and thinking, I want that. And how sad now that we live in a social media driven world where it's because Olivia is really pretty. I looked through her Instagram. She's really cute. Um, and gosh, it's sad too. You scroll through just a few laps and it's like, she was so like, she was so little, not too long ago. Like she was just this tiny little thing, you know, and you watch the gradual change in her social media very quickly go from just very cute and innocent out on a lake to, um, you know, posing in lingerie. But I think that that's an indictment on the world that we have created for our kids with social media, where, um, you know, what I had growing up when I was a little scraggly kid in Yosemite watching this amazing Olympic athlete land on a broken ankle. And that was she was the hero. She was the idol. And I wanted that strength and perseverance to now little girls are seeing a, a very beautiful blonde bombshell in lingerie on social media. And that's the ideal. And that's yeah. the idol. And about, I wonder, you know, have the implications that we'll have on our society going forward. It's very Me sad. Too. So, so my daughter's 11. She's going to be 12 in April and she's a great soccer player. She's hardcore. And she goes out there with her little teammates and they play so hard. They're rough and tumble. They're sweating. They're coming into puberty. Some of them have acne. No one's thinking about how they look on that soccer field. It's about winning. And now that Kim Kardashian thing is infecting like segment after segment of our society to where like, I don't want to get to the point where, you know, they're having to do their eyeliner before the game because the throngs of guys that they've attracted intentionally Mm -hmm. on social media with 
overly provocative pictures might be, you know, it's just, I don't mean to be too prude about it. I understand we've all been, you know, in your case, incredibly attractive women. In my case, a wannabe attractive woman. At the oh, young stop age. it right now. Stop no, that. I'll you take that pictures. back right now. I will bring the pictures. But my point is, I understand we all wanted like male attention. That's a natural part of growing up. This seems like it's a different animal to me. Yeah. And, you know, one other thought I had was on the the guys, right? Because I read the the article where it was like a mob rule that the, the guys just came and they wanted Libby. Wait, wait, we I have guess that's that. what let they were chanting. Let me, let me show oh. it and then, and then make your point. Here it is. Chanting Libby. Oh my God. Go ahead. Brett. It's really scary. I mean, in a way, I, I mean, I kind of, I mean, you guys, in a way, it's kind of nice to see men act like men. I mean, I hate yeah, that. <laughs> I'm probably going to get shamed for that. But and support women's like, sports. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, those are some manly men that like yeah. women. Hallelujah. Carrie's <laughs> <laughs> got a point. That's she could be turning this whole thing around. I don't know. It's like, I just feel for the other girls who, who are just oh. there for the sports uh, who are not going to be able to. You know, do anything yeah. like this. I, I mean, think it. social media world is creating a mess. And we've said that you can't take it away, though, you know, but we didn't grow up in in the world of social media. And so we're having to navigate it as parents for the first generation who's being raised in a world that is all social media. Even what's the new like uh, Facebook has the the meta meta world. Right. Did I, is that what it's called? Meta world where it's like A.I. Metaverse. You, metaverse. You, metaverse. Yeah. And you like you live in this world. Like, I mean, it's going so far where I think we're starting to see the fallout of um, just of this new normal that we, we didn't grow up in. And now we're having to try to navigate it for our children and create boundaries and right. And we, we didn't have that. We didn't have this beast in front of us. So we're having to learn as we go and yeah, watch carefully parents because it's, it's changing so fast. Um, speaking of selfie culture and obsession with one's self, final note on Harry and Meghan. Chelsea Handler speaks about them. It's Prince Harry, actually. You knew you weren't going to get away with a show without it. Um, oh, Meghan, I love you. At the Critics' Choice Awards. Um, and there was a snub of the, you know, the king and queen of Montecito from Chelsea Handler. Listen to this, Stop 14. Dahmer became the third highest viewed show on Netflix with a combined watch time of one billion hours, which apparently is the same amount of time we're going to have to listen to Prince Harry talk about his frostbitten penis. Yes. It's enough already. Yes, it is. It's the first time I've ever agreed with Chelsea Handler on anything, isn't it? It's enough. Same. Do you know what she's talking about with the frostbitten penis? Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. We played the soundbite, okay. which he read it. It was creepy. I'm starting to feel sorry for Meghan Markle. <laughs> oh, I, I didn't feel sorry for Meghan until that point. I, I'll be honest, like that's the only part of the book I've read. And hearing it in with him reading it, I, I couldn't with when he starts talking about Elizabeth uh, Arden and the cream. cream. And then it yes. took him back to his mother, his deceased mother, as he put it on his frostbitten penis. Yes. I just I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do with myself. <laughs> no, it was disturbing. And speaking of like celebrating the manly man, you'd be hard pressed to find it in the pages of that 400 page book. Oh, 
Oh, it's gross. Megan, I want to know if you read it. Did you read the book? Be honest. Yes. My, well, so, uh, so I've done two things. I've I've downloaded it and my team has read the entire thing. Plus, I've read, you know, huge excerpts, but I haven't read it cover to cover yet. Oh, sorry. And honestly, I don't think I'm going to. I just I'm not that interested in him, believe it or not. I think he's interesting because of his connection to the royals and because of his terrible behavior. Like, that's what interests me. Mm like a like a sociological thing about him why is he doing this why would he yeah. you know the, he's the he's the walking example of better to keep your mouth shut and let people think you a fool than open it up and prove them right he's the perfect yes. example of that that's so well said you're so right well, i love how they want privacy but yet <laughs> he just keeps talking and talking and talking. It's like, just stop, H, stop. Okay. Enough. <laughs> H, that's one of the most annoying things about them. And the list is long. Britt and Carrie, so fun to see you. Thanks for being here. Oh, it was so fun. Megan, thank you so much. We can't wait to see you again soon. Oh, likewise. Quick moment we've got to show you before we go. Yesterday, President Biden attended the National Action Network's annual MLK Day breakfast. This is Al Sharpton's group. So he goes and he does a shout out to the wife of MLK III, who was there. Who was there. Her name is Andrea Waters King. It was her birthday. It didn't go well. Well, look, my wife has a rule in her family. When somebody's birthday, sing happy birthday. You ready? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Valley. Happy birthday <laughs> to you. Well, it's hell turning 30. Well, uh, it's not Val. It's Andrea. <laughs> Andrea, don't go there. By the way, that was not, you started on the second verse of happy birthday. It starts off with, Happy birthday to you. Anyway, he missed the first verse. And it's not just Jill's thing to sing happy birthday when it's somebody's birthday. FYI. <laughs> so much to discuss. Love your thoughts. Email me at Megan at MeganKelly.com with your thoughts. By the way, he also said Nancy Pelosi would be rolling over on what the House Republicans have done. So she's still alive, sir. She's still alive. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening to The Megyn Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.